right, good morning, East Point. How are you doing? We'll, we'll do this again. Good morning, East Point. All right, there we go. I feel like I should run out here with that video. I don't know if that would... I, I'd be out of wind if I did that. I wouldn't be able to talk to you. But it's good to see you this morning. And uh, we're going to be t- taking this series, Unshakable, uh, for these next three weeks. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm just ready for some snow. Is anybody else here ready for some snow? All right, there's a few of you. Uh, uh, all right, I, I appreciate that, Ray. Um, I, I'm, right, I, I'm not going to need him. I'm going to be a rock. I'm going to be a rock. All right. All right. I, I appreciate that, Ray. It might be a soft rock. Everyone likes soft rock, right? All right. Hopefully, I'm going to be a rock today. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. And anyways, <laughs> Ray. All right. I'm, we're going to get Ray back in some way. If anybody has any good ideas, you talk to me afterwards. All right. Anyways, back to the snow thing. I, I, I keep looking. I've never done this before in my life, but I keep looking at the forecast hoping for snow. I mean, I have not used my shovel one time this year, and I shouldn't be complaining about that, should I? Uh, I'm, I'm usually that guy. In fact, I'll never forget a couple years ago, it was like 48 going into church, uh, and it was nice. And then it, we came out of church, and it was like 20 degrees. And I opened that door, and I felt that cold wind, and I came back in and I said, you know what? I'm already sick of winter, all right? But I'm just, I'm ready for snow for some reason. Now, me, me saying that, we're going to get just an amazing amount of snow probably, and everyone's going to be mad at me. So if that happens, all right, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. I'll be using that snow shovel way too many times. All right, unshakable. We can shake that snow right off here. But today we're kicking off this new series called Unshakable, and life is crazy sometimes, isn't it? Our world is crazy, our lives get crazy, and sometimes things can happen that can really shake us to our core. And in Hebrews 12, 28, it says this, it says, we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And in this series, we're going to look at how to live in a way that we will be unshakable. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Hebrews 12, and probably one of the most important chapters in the book of Hebrews. And the author, and and we really don't know who the author is. Some people suspect it's Paul, but others might say, well, it could be Barnabas, it could be Luke, it could be Priscilla even, or maybe even Apollos, Uh, whoever it is, Timothy, they refer to Timothy as as their brother. And uh, we don't know who that author is, I'll refer to just the author of Hebrews. But the author was writing to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians that were undergoing some fierce persecution, both socially and physically. And it was both from, the, from their people, the Jews, but it was also from the authority at the time, the Romans. And these Jewish Christians, possibly even second generation Christians, the first second generation Christians there were, These second-generation believers and followers of Christ were experiencing all of this opposition, and they were just wondering, is it all worth it? Is this all worth it? Is this everything? This isn't everything that I thought it was going to be. And everyone everyone in there was considering giving up. And they were either considering giving up, or they were just apathetic towards that commitment to Christ that they had made. Or maybe they were just even distracted by life. 
And their faith wasn't necessarily a priority in their lives. Many of them had put their spiritual lives in neutral. And they were just going through life thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that when I get to that. There's, there's time. But the problem with this is that whenever we coast, we never coast closer to God, do we? Growth always takes commitment and effort. When we put time in, whenever we pursue God, then we find that, that we grow closer to him because he definitely makes himself available to us. He definitely pursues us. And he shows us that especially whenever we seek him out. But a lot of times we have a tendency to put our spiritual lives on autopilot. And I think that we've all been there at, from time to time where we're just kind of stuck in our face. We're neither hot nor cold. We don't seem to be growing at all. There seems to be some kind of apathy to our faith. And it can be caused by a lot of things, by numerous things. A lot of times we just get busy. We just don't have the time to invest in our faith like we, like we should. And it gets put on the back burner. Sometimes we're just tired. I know I'm coaching middle school girls basketball uh, this season, and it's been a blast. My daughter's on the team. It's been great to coach them, but it's definitely at times a test in patience. We had one girl on the team in practice the other day, and we always talk about getting better every day and giving our best effort and the girl just let her, the girl that she was guarding, just go right to the hoop and score a bucket. Just watched her, just stood there right beside her, just let her score. And I said, get in front of her, stop her. Do not let her just score a layup. Do not let her just get to the basket. And I kid you not, she said exactly like this. I probably won't give it justice, but she just said this. She said, I said, I said why didn't you get in front of her? She says, I'm tired. Just like that, I'm tired. And I, I didn't even know how to respond to that. I mean, what do you say to that? I, I know that if I would have said that to my coach, coach, I'm tired today. He would, oh, I, I don't even know what he would have said to that, all right? But sometimes we just feel like that. We're just too tired to give effort to what God is calling us to. Or sometimes we just don't feel like it. I had another girl, I could probably go on and on with middle school girl illustrations here, but I had another girl that I was trying to have her, hey, whenever the, whenever the ball is on the other side, I want you to flash to the ball side, get your hands up right, like you're ready. And over and over, she would just go through the motions, never had her hands up. I was like, get your hands up, act like you want the ball. And I, said, I finally said, you do want the ball, don't you? And she looked at me, she said, no, not, not really. <laughs> I was like, I was like, all right, get out of here. <laughs> Sometimes we just don't feel like it, all right? It happens. But sometimes we're also hurting. What we're dealing with in life is just too much. There's hardship in our life. There's trials. Why am I going through this? Or maybe there's sin that's keeping us from growing closer to God. You just seem to have the same prayer over and over and over again. And it's created a barrier between you and God. Maybe the most dangerous of all is this, is that you're just comfortable. I'm okay. I go to church. I read my Bible. I'm a good person. 
I live my life without displeasing God too much. And that sounds good, but it's dangerous, dangerous theology whenever we're just comfortable in our faith, whenever we're not pursuing him. Or maybe we're just unsure about this whole Jesus thing. Is this really all it's cracked up to be? I know it's good, but can I really trust him with my whole life? Should I really be all in? I'm just not that sure. And if any of these things resonated with you, then this series is for you. This book of Hebrews is, is for you. It's written for you. And this series, Unshakable, I hope and pray, will be an encouragement to your life and will speak to you and bring about change that only God can. And so we'll start off in that Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, some of my favorite words in all of the Bible. And it says this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him. Consider Christ who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Aren't those good words? Edifying words. I'll never forget about 10 years ago. It's actually been less than 10 years ago. I decided to run a half marathon. One of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life, and I've done some dumb things, believe me. Ask my wife, all right? But my sisters had both run marathons and even multiple marathons, and there was a half marathon that was coming to our town. I thought that I would support those that were putting it on, and I thought, I can do this. I can run 13.1 miles, no problem. I, I can do this. And everyone that cared about me was saying, don't do this, Andre. You're going you're going to get hurt. You're going you're gonna to regret this. And there was one Italian girl especially in my life that was saying, this is dumb, Andre. Do not do this, do this half marathon. You're, you're an idiot, all right? And I was like, I, I know I'm an idiot, okay? But I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And so I started training about a week and a half before the race. I just... <laughs> kept putting it off. I do not like to run, but I said, I'm going to do this. So I started off with a mile and a half. I made it through a mile and a half. The next day I did two and then three and then four and then six. And then I did eight miles. And I thought, what's the difference between eight and 13.1? I'll be fine. All right. And so I was done training. I thought, I'll be good. Well, it came the day of the race and um, started off with this race. And I, I actually... Uh, kind of partnered up with this guy that was a doctor in town. He actually delivered our son, Brooks, and we ran that first half of the race, and everything was great. I felt good, but after that first half, he kind of took off ahead, and so I was kind of left all alone, and I was good through about eight and then nine miles, and all of a sudden, there was a stretch where there was nobody on either side of me. There was nobody in the streets cheering me on. There was nobody. I couldn't see anybody out in front, and I couldn't hear anyone behind. I just felt all alone. It was just me and my thoughts and the pain that was going through my body at the time. I mean, my legs were burning, and my thoughts were, were this, you know, 
you're not going to make it. It, it. The pain is too much. There is no way you're going to do 13, 13 miles. You really are an idiot for doing this. All right? And not only that, is your heart's going to stop beating, okay? You're, you're going to die. And, and it wasn't too much farther after that that I finally just gave in and started walking. I started walking. And that last three, four miles, here's what I found. I found whenever there was people along the streets, along the way, cheering me on, I found the energy to run. But whenever I was all alone, I was walking that last three, four miles. And it was really a great lesson to me in the power of encouragement and the power of accountability and that we all need cheerleaders in our lives. And the author of Hebrews starts off in chapter 12 by saying this, hey, there is a packed house, a capacity crowd that is cheering you on in this race that you are running. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and I'll never forget going through this chapter with a professor of mine at Malone University because he took us over to Fawcett Stadium in Canton, Ohio, the largest high school football stadium in the, in the world, all right? And uh, I think at the time it held 25,000 people. And he said, imagine this, imagine a packed house. Imagine this place going crazy for you. And, it, they're, and they're cheering you on in this race that you're running for Jesus Christ, this race that Jesus has marked out for you, this race that isn't a sprint, that's more like a marathon, where you are going to get tired, where you are going to be distracted, where you are going to have to injure, you're going to have to run through pain. And there are going to be many obstacles, and you're going to feel like a lot of time just quitting many times. But these, these stands, they're full, and they're cheering you on in this race. And it was very appropriate that the Football Hall of Fame on that day, when where we were standing, was about a stone's throw away. Because who are some of the people in those seats that are cheering us on in this life? Who are those witnesses? If we go back one chapter to chapter 11, we find out who those witnesses are. And this chapter in chapter 11 is the Faith Hall of Fame because the people of faith in the Old Testament are profiled in this chapter. They're referenced in this chapter. Chapter 11 starts off with this. It starts off with a definition of what faith is. Faith is this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let me say it again. This is what faith is. Faith is being sure, sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, the beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. He is who he says he is. And the ending point of faith is believing in God's promises that he'll do what he says he'll do. Without belief in these truths, without trust, without the faith that God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that he will do what he has promised to do, then it isn't faith. You see, it was by faith, by faith that each of these people stood out and were extraordinarily used. Ordinary people made an extraordinary difference. How? They simply had a faith in the one true God. 
and their faith caused them to act. They were able to walk by faith and not by not by sight. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life and didn't experience death. By faith, Noah warned about things that were not seen. By faith, Abraham offered his son back up to Isaac. By faith, by faith, by faith, Moses and David and Samson and Rahab, all by faith. That list goes on and on. And this, this right here is our heritage. What they're talking about in Hebrews 11, that's our heritage. This is who is rooting us on saying, you can do this. You got it. It is in you. You can come back. It's not too late. The power is in you. You've got what it takes. And are we listening to those voices in our life today? When we start listening to those voices, whenever we, whenever we start believing those cheers, you want to talk about home field advantage. We have home field advantage whenever we listen to those voices, whenever we start believing to the point of being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, that's when God starts writing our by faith story. Have you considered that? What is it? What is your by faith story? By faith how would God end that sentence for you? It says in Hebrews eleven six, it says this, it says that it is impossible to please God without faith. And it goes on to say, because anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. He must believe that he exists, that he's there, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Believe that he is who he says he is and that he does what he says he will do. God's character and God's promises. Do you believe that God is good and that his way is the best way? Do you believe that he loves you and that he has a plan for you? And it's a good and pleasing and perfect plan. A plan that will not harm you, but will give you a hope and a future. And maybe the most important part of this verse is this. And he rewards those who earnestly, who earnestly seek him. I just met with a friend the other day about giving his life to Jesus Christ and about getting baptized. And in a nutshell, he said this. He said he grew up in the church and it was his grandma that took him week in and week out. He said his grandma was so faithful. He said he always believed, but as far as living it out was just a struggle. These past few months, though, he's been coming to church consistently, and he's felt an urging to dive into his faith, and it has been good. He's found hope. He's found peace. And pursuing God has felt right for his life. He said that he's experiencing God's goodness. He's just ready to be all in. And then he said with tears in his eyes, he said this. He says, I wish, I so wish that I, my grandma could be here. To see me now. And I was so thankful for these words in Hebrews 12 because I was able to look at them and say this. You see that? You see where it says this great cloud of witnesses? You see where it says this great cloud of witnesses? I want you to know that she does see it. She's part of that great cloud of witnesses. 
And it was her that's cheering you on. It's her that's urging you to get back in the church. It's her that's urging you to get back in God's word. It's her that's urging you to be all in. And it's her that's going to be with you in those waters of baptism whenever you say yes to Jesus Christ. Whenever you say, hey, not my will, but yours be done. It's because of her. Her cheers. She's a part of that great cloud of witnesses. And, and you want to talk about a by-faith story? That's a by-faith story right there. Faith is each one of us. They call on Jesus Christ. Faith is our heritage. We will all stand on the shoulders of the faithful men and women who came before us, which include Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but also in, might include your grandma or grandpa, which was just such a solid rock in their faith in Jesus Christ. Such an example. Or maybe as a parent who showed you day in and day out what it looked like to follow Jesus Christ. Or maybe it was a friend or a coworker, or a pastor, a teacher, a coach, or whoever it was that introduced you to Jesus Christ. Understand that our hope in this world begins and ends with faith. And faith is our heritage. But God doesn't just want our faith to be our heritage. What he really wants is this. He wants faith to be our legacy. May all who come behind us, may all who come behind me, may all who come behind you find you faithful. And we know this is no easy thing to live a faithful life. In Hebrews 12, he refers to a faithful life as a race, as the race marked out for us. Our race our race, and that we are all in need of perseverance to run this race right and good and get to the finish line. And according to this verse, according to verse one, we are only going to be able to run this race if we throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You see, back in the time in, in Corinth, there was these things called the Isthmian Games, very similar to the Olympic Games. And there was good evidence that at least Paul was at these Isthmian Games at one time or another. And many of the believers would have understood about these athletes that ran in these Isthmian games. They were the heroes of the time. And what they would do to train was they would, they would strap weights to their body to train. And whenever it came time to run, they would take those weights off. But they wouldn't stop there. Not only would they take the weights off, but they would take everything off that would hold them back. They would run naked. And I, I remember sharing this bit of information with our rise, our junior and senior high, and we got stuck on that word naked for a little while, as you could imagine. But I know that there's some more maturity in this group right here, right here, right now, right? All right, we're not going to get stuck there. They didn't, those runners didn't want any resistance. They wanted to run freely. The author was urging them to do the same, the author is urging us to do the same thing. And of course, with clothes on, of course, it's just a metaphor but throw off everything that weighs us down. Everything that holds us back. Everything that gets in the way. Everything that slows us down. Everything that trips us up. Everything. And this is so important, but it's also so tough because every one of us can think of something or many things right now that are or have kept us from running that race that God has marked out for us. 
We can think of things that have kept us from becoming the person that God has called us to be. We can think of things that have hindered our spiritual life or a relationship with God. And whenever a relationship with God is hindered, whenever it suffers, then all of our relationships suffer. And what the author is talking about here in this passage is this, is freedom. Freedom. Freedom from everything that hinders. Freedom from the sin that so easily entangles. And this is a problem for all people. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Galatians, it says, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. You are a slave to whatever masters you. I mean, imagine living this life free. Living this life free from the regret of past decisions. Living this life free from the guilt of past actions. Living this life free from the pain of past abuse or hardships or trials that you've had to endure. Or free from the obsessive thoughts that you're a victim in this world. Or imagine being free from that sin that so easily entangles. Or being free from anger, free from stress, free from lust, free from resentment, from bitterness or grudges, unforgiveness, the love of money, drugs, or the drink. We could go on all day, but you are a slave to whatever masters you, and there's, but there's freedom out there. There's freedom to be had, to be experienced by each one who earnestly seeks it. For each one of us through faith in Jesus Christ, for each one of us who believe but there is a cost, and there's a high cost. There's a great cost. In fact, I would call it the fight of our life. This really is, this fight for freedom is the fight of your life. Whatever is holding you back, whatever is ensnaring you, it is the fight of your life. But I didn't really think that God would call it the fight for your life. See, this fight isn't against flesh and blood, but against the powers and rulers of this dark and evil world. And I love this scene from Braveheart. Such an iconic scene. I don't know how many of you guys have seen Braveheart with Mel Gibson, William Wallace, a few of you have. But he's urging his countrymen to go out and fight. And he says this, he says, I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men, and free man you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight for that freedom? And there was one young soldier in the front, and it said, had the boldness to say, no, we will run and we will live in defiance. Mom Wallace turned to me and says, yes, yes, fight and you may die. Run and you will live at least a while. And dying in your bed many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here as young men and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. I mean, I don't, I know I don't want to be on my deathbed and realize I had more to give 
that I exchanged my life for a watered-down version of what God's plan was for me. And wish I would just would have thought. I mean, what good will all that worldly pleasure do me then? In Romans 8, it says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And today I don't have time to tell each one of us how to overcome each one of our struggles, each, one, each thing that hinders, every sin that entangles. But I can tell you this, that you're not alone in your struggle. You're not alone in this fight. In fact, the war has already been won. And it is a question of this. Are you willing to submit control of your heart over to Christ who is the victor of that war? Are you willing to stand against this tyranny of the evil powers of this world? Are you willing to put him on the throne of your life? Are you willing to accept his love and his forgiveness today? Romans 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I really believe that whenever we go to God over and over and over again, sometimes with the same prayer of forgiveness and repentance in our hearts, he responds by saying this, what sin? I don't know what you're talking about. He loves us. And he doesn't want that relationship blocked at all. But rather the opposite. He runs to us with open arms. And according to Galatians, it says this. It says, for freedom is for freedom that Christ set us free. Set free not to indulge in our sinful nature, but rather to serve and to love others and to give generously. With this freedom, it will lead to holiness, becoming like Christ, and that is why he died. That's why he went to the cross, so that we could experience freedom. I mean, if, what if I said this? What if I said that this life wasn't about getting to heaven? It wasn't about in those pearly gates. It wasn't about enjoying that paradise someday. But what if I said that this life that we're living, this race that we're running is all about becoming like Christ, being a reflection of him. See, when this life is all about just going to heaven, we say things like this, what's the least I can do and still get in? I mean, that sounds like a great plan and all, but I don't see it anywhere in God's word. But rather I see this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I see, I, want to, I see this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I mean, when we understand and believe that God is calling us to be Christ-like, it should flip the script and why he allows us to go through adversity, allows us to go through so many trials and hardships. He is drawing us closer to him, more and more like him. When our friend Becky lost her teenage daughter in a car accident, 
She was just totally empty and numb with grief, as you could imagine. After a few weeks, every time she woke up, she thought, I made it. I made it one day closer to seeing my daughter again. And it became her mantra, one day closer. And in her journey through pain and the healing, she just felt God's call to turn her pain into her purpose. And she started a ministry called One Day Closer Ministries that brought comfort and support to parents and grandparents who had lost children. Her ministry has taken her all over the country, but in her pursuit of Christ's will through all of it was what she realized that every day she wasn't just one day closer to seeing her daughter again, but maybe more importantly, she was one day closer to being that person that God had called her to be. One day closer to being that reflection of Jesus Christ. And she believed this. She believed, that to the, she believed this to the point that she was not only able to say this, but she believed this about herself and that God and that the God she knew loved her so much and had a plan for her. She was able to say this. She said, if I could have God's power for one day, there's a lot that I would change. I know there's one thing in particular that I would change. But if I could have God's wisdom For one day, I wouldn't change a thing. I couldn't imagine. But do you believe that? We will never run to hardship. We'll never run to trials. I will tell you that hardship and trials will definitely run to us. And unless we're running toward Christ, unless we're pursuing him, walking with him, clothed with him, trusting in him, we will be blown over. We will be swept away. We will be knocked flat. But it is through Christ that we'll, we will be able to stand firm and we'll be unshakable. And as we close today, it just seemed like the right place for us all to meet was together. Together around the table. Dining together with the Lord taking the Lord's Supper together because of what it means. And I want you to know that if you've never made room for him in your heart, he wants to come in and he wants to dine with you. He loves you, he cares for you, and he has an amazing plan for you. And he has a place just for you at the table. Faith, forgiveness, and freedom or what coming to the table is really all about. There's a song by a sidewalk prophet that goes like this. He says, we all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in, just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. Come meet this motley crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves. There's no one unwelcome here. So that sin and shame that you brought with you, you can leave it at the door and let mercy draw you near. Just come to the table. Come join these sinners 
who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior now and sit down and be set free. Just come to the table, to the thief and to the doubter, to the hero and the coward, to the prisoner and the soldier, to the young and to the older, all who hunger, all who thirst, all the lost, all the last and all the first, all the paupers and the princes, all who fail, you've been forgiven. All who dream and all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained, all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who's been let down, all the lost, you have been found, all who've been labeled right or wrong, everyone who hears this song, just come. Come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Just sit down and be set free. Just come to the table. Pray today as we take of the Lord's Supper, we take of his body and we take of his blood that we're in remembrance of what he's done for us. But we're also grateful for the freedom that we can experience only through him. And that this this supper will bring strength so that we can run that race that is marked out for each one of us. Just come to the table. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for these words in Hebrews, and we know that this race marked out for us is not an easy one, and we need you every step of the way. We thank you for the endurance you give us. that you have and the example that you are and that we can look to you and we can come to you at any time. We thank you for what you've done for us on that cross and what it means for our lives each and every day and that we can find forgiveness in you. We can find freedom in you and you alone. Help us to examine our hearts. And where we come up short, help us to allow you to fill that gap. Help us to recommit our lives to you this day so we can race, run that race that's marked out for us and be a effect of your kingdom each and every day. We love you and just pray all this in Jesus' name.